All right. It is good to be with you in this building. We, isn't that great? The last time our family was in a building together for church was in Holland with a whole bunch of Iranians. And uh, that was very special, but it's been four months. So there's something special about seeing your faces and um, getting to talk to people. I was looking for Aaron a few minutes before the service began, and she said, I am talking to people. So <laughs> probably we all feel that way. All right. Well, today we're going to be talking about talking about Jesus, okay? And I want this to be simple. I, I think sometimes we make evangelism this big, complicated, hairy thing, and it's not. It's simple. It's like talking about your spouse to your friends. It's like talking about your job. It can be very simple. Sometimes we make it way too complicated. So I want it to be simple today. I also want it to be encouraging. I feel like oftentimes when we talk about evangelism, people think we're asking them to watch a YouTube video on how to pull their own teeth. <laughs> they think this is the last thing in the world I want to listen to. And sometimes it hits a nerve and it can be hard to jump into this topic. I want to just encourage you from the start we're going to be giving you some practical things that you'll be able to do that are fun and easy in your day-to-day -day life that will help you share your faith. We're going to keep this simple. I am going to address a few misconceptions that we often hear in churches wherever we go. And I'm not saying those to step on any toes. I just want us as the body of Christ to be able to catch those things when we hear them so that we can have a correct worldview about evangelism. So this is going to be a fun talk. We're going to be talking about the Samaritan woman, this woman at the well, and Jesus' example of talking about Jesus, his example of evangelism. So this is going to be a special time together. I would love it if you'd stand with me and read a couple verses. We're going to read John 4, 25, and 26 together. This is a long passage. In fact, this passage on the woman at the well is the longest one-on-one -on -one conversation of Jesus and any person recorded in Scripture. So we're not going to read the whole thing. We'll read a couple passages here and there throughout it. But let's read verses 25 and 26, and then we'll jump into the rest of it from there. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes... He will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. A powerful, powerful statement. Let me pray and then I'll let you sit down and then we'll get into this. Jesus, I thank you for my dear friends, my brothers and sisters. I thank you for this opportunity, God, that in the middle of a pandemic and so much chaos and uncertainty, that we can be here together as your body, fellowshipping with you in our midst. God, thank you that you've called us together and that you've called us to an incredible purpose. God, I pray that you'd speak to each of our hearts today and that you'd remind us afresh of the incredible opportunity that you've invited us to partner with you in. We love you, Jesus, and we submit this time to you. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So, as we think about evangelism, there is an illustration that I've shared here before, but I want to share it again because there's not a better one that I know of in my personal life that 
that helps me understand what we're talking about here. Let me preface that illustration by talking first about the Great Commission. The Great Commission, we all know that, right? The command of Jesus Christ our Lord to go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded of us. Uh, This is an incredible privilege that the God of the universe that could write the gospel in clouds if he wanted to has instead chosen to use you and me. This is an honor. It's a privilege. And he's called us to this great commission. And his commands are not burdensome, Scripture tells us. This command that is often one that we fear is actually a part of the abundant Christian life. This is an adventurous part of the Christian life. Yesterday morning, our kids were asleep, and I was talking to my wife after we'd spent some time on our own in our quiet times, and I just said, it's, it's exciting to live the Christian life because you never leave the front door of your house without a sense of opportunity and expectancy. You don't know what you're going to meet out there, who you're going to meet, or what you're going to encounter. Not 15 minutes later on my jog, I, I met a neighbor, and we spent about 20 minutes going over the gospel together. This is the Christian life. Every conversation has meaning and significance. Every relationship, every interaction is significant. It's a life of meaning and purpose that is thrilling. So let me tell you about that illustration. Uh, Aaron and I, for our fifth anniversary, actually tomorrow is our 18th anniversary. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Uh, Tomorrow our marriage will be an adult, finally. Um... So for our fifth anniversary, I took her on a surprise trip to Hawaii. And I, I, was, I never surprised her with anything except that. I, surprised, I was totally kept it a secret. And we snorkeled on this beautiful, beautiful reef. It's where some old music video or something was filmed, right? Some Elvis music video or something. So we were, we were snorkeling, but I couldn't get it. It was different to me, having this thing on my face and trying to breathe air while my face was underwater. And I was struggling to breathe. I was struggling, and I probably was splashing around looking like a shark had attacked me because I could not get this, this idea of sticking my head under the water and breathing. Erin got it right away. She's snorkeling all around, and it's beautiful, and she's just enthralled with all these fish and all this beauty, but I was sitting here panicking, thrashing around. It took about a half hour before I finally got it. I finally realized there was a different way to do this, and it wasn't difficult. I just had to trust that this thing was going to work called a snorkel, and I just had to breathe through it. Maybe some of you have had a similar experience. Well, as I began to breathe, and, and and I realized that I could do this, it wasn't so crazy. I experienced so much that day. Incredible, unparalleled beauty. I mean, it's, it's something that I, I want to take my kids to go see. This is what happens with us in evangelism. When we realize it is not crazy, it is not complicated, it is a, a, a fulfilling part of the Christian life. And when we realize that he has put his Holy Spirit in us to enable us and empower us for this task, All of a sudden, we begin to see an abundance and a sense of meaning and purpose in our lives as believers. So before we get into our evangelism tips and training or whatever, I told you that I wanted to address a few um, 
things that oftentimes as Christians uh, we, we believe that aren't in Scripture. And I want to start with a survey. In November 2017, Barna found that 79% of Christians, that's 8 out of 10, don't believe what they claim to believe. Okay, I, I totally, totally reworded that stat. So I was, I was being a little dishonest. But let me explain to you how I reworded it. The statistic was that 79% of believers don't feel compelled to preach the gospel. It's 8 out of 10. But from my vantage point, if I don't feel compelled to preach the gospel, I'm not believing what this word tells me. Does that make sense? Somewhere along the line, I've started to believe cultural myths rather than the word of God on this topic. Okay? So I want to address some of those, and here's why. Many Bible-believing evangelicals don't believe the Bible about evangelism. And we, we say comments and statements that sound uh, nice and they sound exciting. In fact, one, I was teaching at a Christian music festival about a decade ago, and I told people one of these statements. And that night, one of the main artists, an artist that all of you know, from the front of the whole thing, told everybody that statement. It was kind of hilarious, uh, but it was also sad because these things just become part of the Christian lingo and we believe these rather than God's word on this topic. So instead of just saying what these are, I want, I want you to put your, your hand up, put your hand up and, and put two fingers up, okay? You can all do this. Okay, if you think number one is the verse, put up a one. If you think number two is the verse, put up a two, okay? So you can hold a fist and I'm going to tell you two statements. You've got to pick the verse, all right? Number one, you can't talk about religion or politics. Number two, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. All right, you guys are getting this. Number two, okay, good, you guys are smart. Let's do number two. And this is one, I want to preface this by saying, we hear this all the time, and there is an element of truth here especially when it comes to discipleship and especially when it comes to the church, but not when it comes to evangelism necessarily. Okay, number one, you must earn the right to be heard. Or number two, make the most of every opportunity. It's two, right? There are many people that, that we might meet for the very first time that are ready to hear the gospel. I don't need to earn anything. I just need to share the power of God unto salvation with that person. Okay, number three, you can't share in certain contexts, like at school or at your job or at your workplace or in the office, or we must obey God rather than men. Number two, you got it. You guys are, you guys are 100 for 100. Okay, number one, preach always, use words if necessary. This is the one that that famous Christian musician said from the front stage that night. Preach always, use, use words if necessary. Or two, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? It's two, right? Okay, people aren't interested in Jesus anymore. We live in different times. People aren't interested in Jesus. Or two, um, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's two, right? Okay, we can't blame the harvest. A lot of times we do that. Well, the, the harvest is crazy. I love Brandon Elder over here. Got to call him out. He went to Paris last year. And I called him during that trip and said, what's it like? And he said, everybody wants to hear about Jesus. <laughs> Amen. That's what happens when we share. We see the truth. Okay, next. 
our, you name it, our, our methods, our building, our resources aren't good enough, or two, the gospel is the power of God into salvation. Two, right? Next one, only gifted evangelists can share. Or two, we are ambassadors for Christ. Two. Okay, last one. This is, this is an important one to get. We must build relationships with people before we share the gospel. Or two, all men will hate you because of me. That's a hard one, right? We're not promised that everybody's going to love us when we go share our faith. Let me tell you that last statement. I, I travel around the world. In the last three years, we've been in around 25 countries as a team. We've trained thousands of believers on evangelism all over the world. That statement about making friends first, I have noticed everywhere I've been is inversely proportional to church growth. Everywhere people believe you have to make friends first, the church is declining. And everywhere people are boldly sharing their faith, the church is rising. And what I've found is the more I share my faith, I make friends with a lot of people. I make friends with atheists and Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims when I share my faith with them. And those relationships continue on. I don't have to become a friend first. I'm not saying don't be friendly, but I'm saying we can just share the gospel. There's a famous atheist with a more biblical worldview on this topic than many Christians. His name is Penn Jillette. He's very famous, the, the magician. And on a YouTube video, he says this, if you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, let me remind you, he doesn't believe this, but he's saying if you believe this, if you believe this, and you think, well, it's not worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. He says, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? He says, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Convicting, right? Uh, coming from an atheist, imploring Christians, if you really believe this, share it. Okay, so that's all the tooth pulling we're going to do today. <laughs> I, I just wanted to, to get our minds straight. We are going to believe God's word on this topic, not social misconceptions on this topic. Now, based on God's word, let's jump into some incredible uh, ways to do this. This is an opportunity and a privilege that we get to be a part of what God's doing in people's lives. Feeling like a failure won't motivate you to evangelism, okay? So whatever your past looks like here, I want to encourage you, it's the past. Just put it behind you. If you feel like you've not hit the nail on the head with this in the past, forget about it. Just put it behind you. You can't change the past, right? Today's a new day. For us as a church, this is a new season. The world is hurting. The world is hopeless. And we get to reach out with hope to them. So whatever the past has looked like, it's behind us. We're not going to live in regret. We are moving forward. And I want to resource you with some incredible ways to move forward with a sense of expectancy, okay? So let me give you a little background to this passage. Uh, Sychar and the Samaritans, during the exile of the Jews out of Israel, some of the Jews remained behind and interbred with some of the Gentiles from surrounding areas. Most of you know this. So when the Jews came back, the Samaritans were kind of half-Jews, half-Jewish people, and they had tremendous conflict with the Jews over the, the coming years. Right? There, was, there was this ongoing conflict. Jesus, we're told in this passage, he had to go to Galilee, and he was going 
through this area, through this region. Whether he had to or not because of the, the destination, you can decide for yourself. I think he had to because he was following the Father's will, and the Father's will was that he would go to this village and preach to this precious woman that was an outcast in her, among her people, and that that village would come to know Jesus. Okay, so let's, let's look at a map right now. He's in the Judean countryside down south, and he had to go up to Galilee up north, and Sychar was about where that star is, right? He could have circumvented it to get around the Samaritans if he wanted, but he didn't. He went straight through the middle, even with all the conflict and craziness that there was, okay? And he goes and he talks to this woman. Women in that time period and in that area were ostracized very often, there were negative views of women. They weren't trusted like their male counterparts. And especially this woman. She had a history. She had had five husbands. That doesn't necessarily mean that she was this adulterous woman. She could have been divorced five times for who knows what reason. Whatever her case, her society would have seen her as a very bad person. And now she's living with somebody she's not married to, obviously sinful, she had everything going against her, which is probably why she was there in the middle of the day. She was ashamed. This lady was an outcast. And Jesus breaks all the cultural norms here. He breaks all the rules and he goes to her and he initiates with her and he lovingly shares the gospel with her. Something that a man wouldn't do with a woman, something that a Jew wouldn't do with a Samaritan, something that a rabbi wouldn't do with a sinner. He does it all. He breaks all the conventions because of the importance of the good news that this woman needed to hear. He took the good news to her. So that's the first thing that I want you to catch here is we need to take the initiative. We need to take the initiative. And in John 4, 7 through 8, we see Jesus doing this where he goes to this well. He waits for her. He says the first words to her. He says, give me a drink. And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She's absolutely dumbfounded by what's going on here. He took the initiative. It was probably at this location here. You'll see an older picture of this well. I think we have that slide coming up. Okay. And then maybe uh, shortly after that, a built-up version around it. If you travel to Israel, they've pretty much put a church over everything. That's the next slide. But uh, here, a picture of Jacob's well. Listen, we are called to follow Jesus' example of taking the initiative. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 that no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand so that it'll give light to the whole house. He says that we are to let our light shine before men, but how often do we obscure it and hide it and tiptoe around it? We don't want to offend our coworkers or we don't want to be obnoxious with our neighbors. And side note, don't be offensive or obnoxious. <laughs> but at the same time, we can take the initiative to share this. Keith Davies is one of the crew leaders, Campus Crusade for Christ, and he's, he talks about three modes of evangelism. The natural mode. This is how you have conversations in the natural course of life, maybe with a coworker, maybe with a neighbor. He talks about the body mode. This is where you actually invite people to church or invite people to a Christian concert. Both important. And they're going to hear the gospel there. Yesterday, a bunch of us in this body got to be part of a large evangelistic online concert. 
Uh, Some of you were volunteering for that. That's the body witness. The third is the ministry witness, he tells us. That's where we go out and meet people we don't know simply for the purpose of engaging them with the gospel. And that's what we see most often in scripture, people going and sharing with people intentionally. So I, I just want to mention this Because a lot of times, that's the one we fear the most, being intentional about evangelism with people we might not know. But this is an important part of the Christian life. William Booth says, go for souls, go straight for souls, and go for the worst. (laughs) Right? This should be our rallying cry. We are going to go for the souls. Okay, so we take the initiative. The next point here is transition conversations. In John 4, 9 through 18, we see this. And and Jesus does a masterful job of talking about water and bringing it to the Messiah. I mean, it's beautiful how he does this with this lady in in an engaging way that captured her attention, that worked her through various different religious perspectives she had and brought her to the point of the Messiah where he told her what we started with today. I who speak to you am he. What an incredible statement, revolutionary I mean, this would have been absolutely world-changing. But he he brought her to that point by transitioning that conversation from a simple drink of water. You know, we can do the same thing. We can turn any conversation back to the gospel. Keith Davies from Crew gives us four good ways to do that, and I'll share those in a minute. But before that, I want to ask you, imagine you're here in this next picture. How would you transition to the gospel at this grocery store. You're talking with that lady. Or how might you transition to the gospel in an airplane? Next picture. You're sitting next to somebody. You're having a conversation. Or what about this next one? How might we transition to the gospel when we're here in a park? Or on a jog or on a run? Last night, my daughter Kara and I went out for a walk and we got to share our faith with the lady. Right, Kara? How would we do that just out on a walk with your dog? Your dog is a great way to start conversations, by the way. Okay, how would you transition to the gospel here in an office place where everybody says you can't talk about politics or religion? I don't care if they tell me that. My my Savior told me to talk about religion. (laughs) So I'm going to do it. And if you fire me, so be it. We had a student years ago named John Weswa from Kenya at Fort Lewis College. And he was a a dorm RA, and they told him, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus. And he says, how can I not talk about Jesus? He has given me everything I have. I will not stop talking about Jesus. And they said, well, we're going to have to fire you then. He's like, fire me. (laughs) I was like, amen, John. And guess what? They didn't fire him. They are just threatening. But he got to be a bright, shining light in his dorm with a bunch of hurting college students that needed that in their dorm. Better than a lot of the other RAs that were just pouring gas on that horrible fire that they were all burning in. Okay, here is something that I want us to get as we start about the four barriers. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And in the second part of that verse, and I don't want to take it out of context, and I don't think I am, because he says a principle that I think is true. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay? If Jesus is not coming up in my conversations, the last thing I need to do is just try harder to transition conversations. There's probably a heart issue. Because if he's the greatest treasure in my life, if he's my joy, I'm not going to have a hard time talking about that. It's going to come out because that's what I'm passionate about, right? 
And so as we talk about these transitions, I want to start by saying, if any of us struggle with this, and I work through this every day, when I find myself saying, I don't feel like sharing right now, I got to come back to the point of saying, guess what? I need to get back to Jesus and let him do this through me. I'm not going to just make an excuse. I'm going to come back to him and ask him to do this work in me so that I can transition to the gospel. So here are Keith Davies' four points. Number one, meet someone and start a conversation. It's pretty simple. See, if I'm thinking I need to go share my faith with that guy over there, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I start to panic. What am I going to say? Oh my gosh, right? We start to kind of freak out. Well, don't even do that. Just keep, keep, keep things small and just say, I just need to go meet the person. <laughs> Maybe I'll just wave at him and say, hi, done. That's it. How are you doing today? Well, guess what? Now we're talking. I'm doing good. How are you doing? How's this COVID thing been treating you? Oh, it's okay. Now we're talking. Now we can get somewhere. So don't make it a mountain that you have to, to scale first. Just start simple by initiating a conversation. Then number two, we transition to a spiritual topic. It's very simple. We're talking about COVID and how everybody's afraid. And we ask somebody, well, how, how are you handling that? You know, is that, is that scaring you? Is that making you anxious? We're, now we're going to transition into a spiritual topic. And as we transition into a spiritual topic, the third thing would be transition to the gospel. Here's a great question that you can use to do that. What's been your experience with Christianity? I did this with a neighbor yesterday. I said, what kind of church background do you have? And he told me. And that opened up this opportunity to talk about the gospel. And then as we talk about the gospel, we can bring somebody to a point of decision. We can invite them to respond to what we've just shared. We don't need to end before we invite them to respond. In Matthew 13, we read about uh, a sower. And he was sowing kind of wildly, you might say. Some of the seed is falling along the way. Some is falling in the rocks, some is falling in thorn bushes, and some is falling on good soil. He wasn't so worried about who he was talking to or where to take that seed. He was sowing wildly. I think if we can just transition lots of conversations to the gospel, that's a whole lot better than trying to find the perfect person, because we have no idea who that person is, right? So let's just take the initiative Bill Bright puts it this way, success in witnessing is simply taking the initiative in the power of the Holy Spirit and then trusting the results to God. The only way we fail in our witness is if we fail to witness. Um, and it's really that, that true. Okay, so next we talked through objections. We need to do this. This is important. Uh, here in this city at Mount Gerizim, there, there had been a temple that the Jews had destroyed. Here is a picture of some of the ruins of that temple up on the mount, overlooking the modern city of Nablus, which Sychar was in the vicinity of, okay? And this temple, you can see it on a Roman coin from the time period. I love showing these pictures because they remind us that what we're reading is true. This is actually accurate. But this Roman coin from the time that was minted there in that region shows the temple on top of the hill. Isn't that exciting? This temple had been destroyed by the Jews in the 2nd century BC, and the Samaritans actually believed they had to worship at that temple. They didn't believe there was another option. In fact, the Samaritan version of the Ten Commandments says they have to worship there. Okay? 
And so the Jews said, no, you have to worship in Jerusalem. But they had been ostracized and they were no longer allowed to worship in the Jewish temples because they had desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. So this lady has an absolute conundrum. I can't worship here. I can't worship there. Where am I to worship God? She had some objections to work through. And guess what? Jesus walks through those objections gently, respectfully. You're going to meet people that have objections. You can do the same thing. Help them through their objections. Here's a picture of one of my coworkers talking with one of the atheist club members on campus. I've grayed out his face so that you won't know who he is. I'm actually in the back in between the two talking to another student. We can talk through objections with people. It's not complicated. It's simple. We've given you this tool today. It's this best facts track. Hopefully you already got one. If you didn't get one on your way out, if you want to take two or three, take two or three. It's a great resource designed for your skeptical friends. Something that'll give you a little confidence that if somebody brings up a hard question, I have a tool I can use with that person to work through their objections. Jesus doesn't end there though. Here's, well, he, he brings it back to himself as the Messiah, but the story doesn't end there. The story tells us in 4, 28 and 30, something really special. I'm going to read that to you. Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Isn't that amazing? She goes and tells her testimony. And guess what? The whole city, the whole village comes and believes in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. You can share your testimony too. I'm going to give you a very simple method in a couple minutes, and I'm going to have some excellent, excellent friends of mine demonstrate it for you. Okay? This is called the one-minute witness, and it starts with permission. It's very simple. You just walk up to somebody and say, can I ask you a question? Any of us could do that. At a grocery store, we could do it with a neighbor. Sure, what's the question? What's the greatest thing that's ever happened in your life? Most people get caught off guard, and then you listen and respect them and listen to what they say. And then just ask, could I tell you the greatest thing that's ever happened to me? And they say, uh, sure. Okay. Tell them three things that defined your life before Christ. For me, it's fear, sadness, and doubt. Three things that defined your life before Christ. If you're taking notes, maybe those will come to you right now. If you need some time to think about it, that's fine too. Three things that defined you before Christ. Then, how did you come to know Christ? Where did you hear the gospel? Clarify the gospel, God's love, humanity's sin, Jesus' payment for our sins, and my decision, our decision to, to respond to that and to put our faith and trust in him and him alone. After that, share your three after Christ statements. What has Christ done in your life? I'll tell you mine in just a minute. And then summarize with a real short sentence. We like to start it with, if I had never met Jesus. Okay. Let me tell you how mine goes. You have a little template there, so you can fill this out when you go home if, if you need to. But I hope that you'll put this together and use this with people. Just say, hey, can I ask you a question? What's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you? And then have this conversation. Mine goes like this. There was a time in my life when fear and sadness and doubt really controlled who I was. And even though I'd been going to a good Christian church, I didn't understand what it was all about. Then one day it clicked. And I understood that God loved me even though I was a sinner and that he died for my sins on the cross. Then he rose from the dead to give me eternal life if I would believe in him as Savior and Lord. When I realized what Jesus had done for me, I put my faith and trust in him alone. And he changed me. He turned my fear to courage. He turned my sadness to joy. 
and he turned my doubt to confidence. If I'd never met Jesus, my life would be very empty, but because of him, it is very full. Simple. Took about a minute. You could do that on a, with a neighbor. You could do that at a grocery store. You could do that with your waitress. And then you simply ask, do you think you're at a point in life where you might want to know how Jesus could do something like that for you? Many people say, yeah, I am. I asked that to a lady recently. I told you about her last time I spoke. And, and she was at that point. She wanted to hear. Okay, I'm going to invite my helpers to come up here. They're going to demonstrate how this whole thing works, and then we're going to wrap it up. Hello. Okay. Okay, over here. Wait, wait, I'll get behind you guys. Come here. Kira on this side. Hello, may I ask you a question? Yeah. Yes. What's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you? Well, um, me and my family went on a whale watching trip going to Romania and Holland. May I tell you the greatest thing that's ever happened to me? Yes. Well, there was a time in my life when I was filled with fear, worry, and stress. And then one day I heard that Jesus loves me and that he died for my sins so I could live with him forever in heaven. He changed my fear into hope, my worry into faith, and my stress into peace. If I had never met Jesus, I'd be filled with fear and sadness. But because of him, my life is full. Woo-hoo. There you go. That was pretty simple. Each of us could do that, friends. It's, it's very simple. So I encourage you to work through that. Okay, last point. Truly love God and people. Truly love God and people. And this is what it all comes down to. Jesus says in, in verse 31 and 32, uh, well, the, the disciples come and they say, uh, Rabbi, eat something. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. He was doing the Father's will because he loved the Father. And that drove him to obedience. And it's the same for us. If, if we love the Lord, that will drive us to serve him and to share our faith. And if we love him, he will put in us the same heart of compassion that drove him in Matthew 9, 36 to look at the crowds and to say that they were like sheep without a shepherd and to have compassion on them and to tell his disciples, open your eyes and see that the harvest is ripe and to send them out in the next chapter to go meet those same people with the gospel. Our heart for Jesus will transform in us our hearts for others too. You know, Jesus is full of mercy and grace when it comes to this thing. And he's calling sinners like me and you to be his mouthpieces. In 1 Corinthians 3, 9, we're called his co-laborers. I don't deserve to do this. I'm scared of sharing my faith as much as anyone. Um, I have to wrestle with my own insecurities when I start these conversations. I have to take my doubt to Jesus. I have to ask him to give me the courage to initiate conversations Sometimes, not very often, I like most everybody I meet, but there have been times where I meet somebody I just really don't like them, okay? And God wants me to share with that person. And guess what? That's a heart issue. I got to take it to Jesus because Jesus loves that person. Um, So I'm not looking at you with any condescension. I need all of this as much as anybody in this room. So here's the application for this. We are here for an important time, church. Our, Our world is in disarray. 
If they weren't interested six months ago, they are now. I've not initiated a conversation in the last four months with somebody that didn't want to talk. They're hurting. They're desperate. They're looking for hope, and we have the answer. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. We have to put this stuff into practice, even when it feels hard and difficult. This, ver- this next uh, quote, I-, I tear up in almost every time I read it, but-, but listen carefully with me. It's from William Booth, who started the Salvation Army. He says, Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. And then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. That's our call, church, to join him, soul and body, all of our heart, all of our circumstances, to bring his hope to the world. All I'm asking you for an application is just a here am I, that Isaiah response. Who's going to go here am I? I'm not going to tell you go do this stuff with 10 friends. I'm not going to do that. That's between you and the Lord. All I want is for you to walk out of this place saying, Jesus, I'm yours. Use me however you want. Here am I. Send me. Because I think if we as a church get there, this city is going to get reached. I believe that with all my heart. In conclusion... You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 calls this a trust. Some translations say a sacred trust. We have this sacred trust of the Lord, and he's called us to be all in on talking about Jesus, to follow the example that he showed us in this conversation with the Samaritan woman. In Matthew 10, when he sent those disciples out after saying the harvest was ripe, he said, shout what I tell you from the rooftops, right? I was encouraged by a a, a preacher that, that reminded me of that this past week. This is an incredible call, and he's given us his Holy Spirit, it says in Acts 1-8, to empower us for this task. I can't do this on my own. You can't either. But the Holy Spirit in you is up to this task. In Acts 17, 26, and 27, we're told that God has determined the times and the places that we should live so that people would seek him and find him. We are in Albuquerque for such a time as this. And we, as a church, have the great opportunity to extend his hope, the gospel of our salvation, to a world around us that desperately needs it right now. That's all I have for you. I'm always available to encourage you. Greatcommissionalliance.org is our our team site. We have resources there to help you with this. We have a couple short little books on evangelism that can really help you get some training and some perspective. Take a few of these resources and use them to walk through objections with friends. I pray that God will use you and encourage you this week as you step out in faith and share your faith with others. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for my dear brothers and sisters, for this incredible example that you gave us with this woman at the well who you love dearly in spite of all her baggage. God, thank you that you've called us to follow your example and to share your hope with the world. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.